0: stories behind the white coat. This is Grayscale. I'm Ben Davis. After a bit of a hiatus, I'm happy to have Eliza Hutchinson, second year resident at Swedish First Cell Family Medicine Residency, as our guest. When not busy being a resident. Eliza spends her time salsa dancing and biking. As always, names and certain details are changed to protect the identity of our patients. And a quick shout out to Dan, Kelly, and the rest of the gang, thinking about you guys.
1: is a patient that uh, I'm going to talk about who I haven't actually known for very long. So since I'm a fairly new resident, I don't actually have the stories of patients from 30 years ago that I've been hearing on your podcast. But this is actually someone that uh, has impacted me quite a bit and I've been thinking a lot about and I'm still processing right now. So I'm hoping that this is going to help me come to some conclusions for myself. Um, So we'll see. Her name, I'm just going to call her Maya Um, and she established care with me about 2 months ago and she has newly arrived from uh East Africa as an asylum seeker. And she just kind of instantaneously when I met her, I just felt um I just felt really strongly for her and I don't know I guess how else to put it. She just struck me. She was soft-spoken but really articulate. Um just felt like things she said were really profound. She was um humble, she was excited, she was like just really introspective, and I just, yeah, as we sat and talked, I realized that 45 minutes had gone by instead of my usual 20-minute visit. Um, and she you know told me about a lot of the traumas that she'd undergone in East Africa and kind of what had brought her and her family here, and just how much she had missed her family there, and was really feeling lost, but also really grateful for being here, and at the same time being really scared about what's going to happen to her here, um, and whether she'll have to go back. Um, and then kind of her real reason actually for seeking care was that she is an, um, has an amputation, um, uh, a below the knee amputation. And, uh she got this when she was a child. And now that she's in this country, she's been struggling to walk because, um, her prosthesis is not fitting her properly anymore. And, um, the stump of her leg is getting bruised and broken down and, having a lot of pain and now can't walk without the assistance of someone. And so she's not able to go to work. And so just there are a lot of sequelae from this, um, from this ill-fitting prosthesis. And, you know, so I kind of started with the initial things that we usually do when we have a patient without insurance, which is, you know, file some paperwork for getting free care. And so I did that on the first visit. Um, and really quickly found out from our coordinator that, of course, that doesn't work, and we can't get free prosthetic evaluations for patients. And nobody in our clinic really knew where to do this. And so over the next several weeks, I just like found myself. I just kept thinking about her, and it was just it was killing me that we had no way to get her an evaluation for this prosthesis. And I asked all the faculty in our clinic. I asked the nurses. I asked everyone I ran across social workers in the hospital, like, where could we get her a free prosthesis or at least an evaluation? And I think I logged who knows how many hours, probably 20 hours making phone calls about this. Um, Something that was kind of medical, but really, as as you know, in our clinic, oftentimes our patients have needs that are not even very medical. Um, They're often social needs that are really, really difficult for us to meet. So anyway, I spent all this time, I was like going home later at night because of it. I was missing dinner with my husband because of it. Um, so I was just dwelling on trying to figure this out. And, and finally, actually last week, um, I finally had a call back from somebody and this was just like, it made my week. Um, my stomach was just bubbling when she called me because she said, oh, well, we don't normally do this at our clinic, but um, we have a resident who has time and wants to take on a project and is willing to see your patient for free and give her a full evaluation and then potentially give her a free limb at the end of that. My whole world just stopped in excitement. It was ridiculous. I had no idea that I was like holding that in so much and that to me felt like the biggest win for her and it was gonna like completely change her life. It felt like um, she was gonna be able to go to this appointment, she was gonna get a new prosthesis and her life was just gonna take off after that. She could work and get around to all the appointments she needed to do and she was gonna feel so much better. And so I I got to call her on the phone and she was tearful on the phone and I was on the edge of tears on the phone. She was so excited. And so she made this appointment. And actually, I think today is the day that she was supposed to have that appointment. So I'm waiting to see her again in clinic next week. But I think, I guess, what is the point of this whole story and what are all the things that I'm thinking about? You know, I, I think one big theme for me is as I was doing all this work for her and realizing how much time I was spending on it. I was thinking about, you know, and on the one hand, part of the reason I went into medicine is that we can be advocates for people who can't, who don't necessarily have sort of the social voice to be able to advocate for themselves. And so to be a physician and to make a phone call like this, I probably got a response that she might not have gotten had she called. And so it felt like the right thing to do for me to spend all this time advocating for her. Um, But at the same time, there were probably a lot of other patients that also need that same advocacy that I am not spending the time advocating for. And that really got me thinking about sort of the justice of all of this, that I'm spending all my time working on this one patient instead of sort of distributing my time across all of my patients and thinking about sort of, you know, how do I pick the patients that I'm going to do that for? Because I don't do that for everyone, and I haven't consciously thought before how it is that I go about picking patients that I advocate for and overextend myself for, and I think to think about that is is hard. I think it's a little bit like and it makes me realize that in medicine, I think we sort of have favorite patients, but I don't know that we would ever want to admit that to ourselves. um same way that a parent would never want to admit that they have a favorite child that they might put more energy into or that they <laughs> want to spend more time with. but I think we do have patients that become our favorites and that we are willing to really go out of our way for. And, you know, is that fair? Like, not really. Um, But is it human? I think, yeah. And I I think part of this work for me is becoming cognizant about who I'm going out of my way for and why and sort of what are my own biases or what is it in that person's story that so draws me to them that I I can't let go. Um, And I have to just keep working on whatever the issue is, staying late and missing things at home, missing things in my own life. And I think that also begs the other question for me, which is that constant balance in medicine of when do we, you know, draw the line and say for my own wellness, for my own family's wellness, I need to not do all the extra work for this patient that I could do because time is limited as we know. And so the more time you spend in clinic, the less time you spend at home And navigating that balance, I think, is something that I will probably spend my life trying to do. And I imagine most physicians do spend their time trying to strike that balance. But especially when feeling so emotionally attached to a certain patient, it's really hard to draw that line. Um, You know, I wish there was JNC-8 for how to divide up your time as a physician, but there are no guidelines (laughs) and up-to-date doesn't help me with this either. (laughs) Um, yeah,
0: they should really have one of those. <laughs> I know
1: articles. someone needs to write that. Right, that can be your next project as, um, after this podcast. Okay, um, helping us out um, so that I could up to date how to how to navigate this. Yeah, so I think those are kind of all the different things that I that this patient has brought up for me, and it's um, obviously a lot of it is still stewing, and I haven't come to any real conclusions about it.
0: At the end of the day, because you put so many hours in working with this patient, and I'm sure is it it emotionally exhausting, physically exhausting. And as you mentioned, there are certain things in your life that have to take a hit when you're making these sacrifices. Do you feel like, since this is pretty still pretty raw for you, do you feel like after this experience, you're more likely to stay late and do this work again or less likely?
1: Oh, that's a really good question. Um, probably my answer changes depending on the day <laughs> and then what my day has been like. Um, I mean, I think in some ways it makes me want to do it more because it is reinforcing to me that as a physician, you can really advocate in a way that a lot of people cannot. And whether that's right in our society or not, people listen to physicians and we have this power. Um, be that our pen or our phone call. Um, And so sometimes, you know, I think seeing the result of this and feeling like I probably got much further as a physician than maybe a social worker would have or the patient herself, and whether that's right or whether that's wrong, I can get farther as a physician. And so it makes me feel like I need to be doing that more. And I think it, it makes me now feel guiltier if I don't do that because I'm seeing that power. Um, And so I don't know where I I shake out on whether I do more of that or whether I don't uh, in the future. So I'm going to have to give back to you on that one. (laughs) Stay tuned. Or when you write the up-to-date chapter, please.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of addicting in a way because working with the patient population we work with and uh, in the environment that we work with, we often don't see anything get done, right? <laughs> we, <laughs> nope. We, we see all the inadequacies <laughs> yeah. of medicine and you know the injustices that go along with that and to see something work out because you made some phone calls, that can be quite addictive knowing that you possess that power to make that change. Special thank you to Eliza Hutchinson for sharing her story with us today. And also a big thank you for everyone who supported the podcast. You know who you are. For myself, you can find more at thebadhumors.com, thegrayscalepodcast at gmail.com, or on Instagram at status underscore underscore one. That's O-N-E. This is Grayscale. I'm Ben Davis. (laughs) Uh, the other Ben Davis had to leave today, so
1: I'm oh, going I to got be one. 19,
0: 1908 <laughs> news reporter. It was World War. <laughs> <Anyway>. <laughs>